Hi, welcome to Carmelite Conversations. Thanks for joining me. My co-host Mark Danis is normally with me, but um, he was called away on an emergency. His newborn grandchild is in ICU with issues, and so I just ask all of you to please lift him up in prayer. And so we just plead the precious blood of Jesus upon um, this grandbaby and on all babies and all the families who are concerned about these babies that are having some hardships of one kind or another. So we just plead the precious blood of Jesus upon them and place them in the most sacred heart of Jesus and the immaculate heart of Mary. So hopefully Mark will be back with me next week. Um, and we were going to continue a series on St. Therese of Lisieux's Act of Oblation to Merciful Love, but I'd really like to wait and continue that with Mark. So I picked another topic for today. I hope that you like it. The Carmelite Order is celebrating a special day today. It is the Transverberation of St. Teresa of Avila. So that is our topic. And I also hope to address not only what this transverberation is, but elements of the heart, the physical heart of St. Teresa and what can be seen on it. So it's very interesting. But like we always do, I like to begin in prayer. So let's get recollected and put ourselves in the presence of God, being conscious of his presence. And let us pray in the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Almighty God, you filled the heart of St. Teresa of Avila, our mother, with the fire of your love, and gave her strength to undertake difficult tasks for the honor of your name. Through her prayers, may the power of your love fill our hearts also, and stir us to ever more generous efforts in your service. We ask this through our Lord Jesus Christ, your Son, who lives and reigns with you and the Holy Spirit, one God forever and ever. Amen. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. And that prayer comes from the memorial of the transverberation of the heart of Holy Mother, St. Teresa of Avila, from the morning prayer of the proper. So let's first just define this term. Um, that's a big word, <laughs> transverberation. It's not the same as transubstantiation, which we use uh, in uh, thinking of uh, Jesus's body and blood, uh, the, the host and the wine becoming the body and blood of Christ. That's transubstantiation. That's not the same thing. This is transverberation. And it comes from the Latin transverberare, which means to pierce through. In mystical theology, it's also known by an Italian term that means heart wound. Um, it's also commonly referred to as the seraph's assault because it's often accompanied by a vision of an angel. And the angel is inflicting the wound. You can think of the famous image or statue of um, St. Teresa of Avila um, created by Bernini, this great artist with the seraph angel with the spear, uh, an arrow aiming for her heart. Um, it can easily be found on the internet. 
So the angel inflicts the wound, but it is a wound of love when it inflames the soul with the love of God and at the same time is a purification. Now, when St. Teresa of Avila was canonized, Pope Gregory XV wrote this, Amid the other virtues of Teresa, the love of God shone forth with particular luster. It burned in her heart so strongly that the confessors of Teresa marveled about it and extolled it as the love belonging to the cherubim rather than to man. What a thing to say about somebody, right? Oh my goodness. So that was from the bull of canonization of St. Teresa by Pope Gregory the 15th. Now, I wanted you to hear what St. John of the Cross says about this. This can be found in the proper, of uh, the Carmelite proper. Um, it's also coming from John of the Cross's classic, his book called Living Flame of Love. Moses declares in Deuteronomy, our Lord God is a consuming fire, that is a fire of love, which being of infinite power can inestimably consume and transform into itself the soul it touches. Yet he burns each soul according to its preparation. He will burn one more, another less, and this God does insofar as he desires and how and when he desires. Now, if you remember, Mark and I talked about um, this analogy of the log of wood on fire that St. John of the Cross uses in the dark night in actually book 2, chapter 10, um, as a form of purification. And so I just wanted to hit that briefly. We had alluded to that when we did a series on St. Teresa Margaret Reddy, the Sacred Heart of Jesus and her wound of love. So if you'll remember, the soul is purged and prepared for union with the divine light, just as the wood is prepared for transformation into the fire. So fire, when applied to the wood, first it dehumidifies it. So get rid of all the moisture and get rid of any kind of water that it contains. Then it turns the wood black and makes it dark and ugly, sometimes even creating a bad odor. But by drying out the wood, the fire brings to light and expels all those ugly and dark accidents that are contrary to fire. And that would be like sin or deep roots of sin. Finally, by heating and enkindling it from without, the fire transforms the wood into itself and makes it as beautiful as itself. So this is when you have those glowing embers, right? And once transformed, it possesses the properties and performs the actions of fire. And just as the fire does that, so a soul on fire with the love of God participates in his divine nature in that sense. So I want to go on with what John the Cross says when he's talking uh, about this flame of love. When God wills to touch somewhat vehemently, the soul's burning reaches such a high degree of love that it seems to surpass that of all the fires of the world. For he, you know, he's an infinite fire of love because the soul, in this case, 
is entirely transformed by the divine flame. It not only feels a cautery, but has become a cautery of blazing fire. He goes on, it's a wonderful thing and worth relating that since this fire of God is so mighty, it would consume a thousand worlds more easily than the fire of this earth would burn up straw. It does not consume and destroy the soul in which it so burns. It does not afflict it, rather commiserate with the strength of love. And here's what we need to really realize. This fire divinizes and delights the soul, burning gently. Since God's purpose in granting these communications is to exalt the soul, he does not weary and restrict it, but he enlarges and delights it. He brightens and enriches it. So it will happen that while the soul is inflamed with the love of God, it will feel that a seraphim is assailing it by means of an arrow or dart, which is all afire with love. So the seraphim pierces and cauterizes this soul, which like a red hot coal, or better yet, a flame, is already enkindled. For the soul is converted into the immense fire of love. Not very many people have reached these levels of sanctity. Um, somehow, uh, have, you know, especially founders. So John the Cross says, For God accords to founders with respect to the first fruits of the Spirit, wealth and value commiserate with the greater or lesser following they will have in their doctrine, spiritual, uh, spirituality. So um, Teresa um, did become a founder. 17 convents. John of the Cross talks about this woman this way. He says, Oh, happy wound, wrought by one who knows only how to heal. Oh, fortunate and choicest wound, you were made only for delight, and the quality of your affliction is delight and gratification for the wounded soul. You are great, O oh, delightful wound, because he who caused you is great, and your delight is great because the fire of love is infinite and makes you delightful according to your capacity and greatness. Oh, then, delightful wound, so much more sublimely delightful, the more the cautery touched the intimate center of the substance of the soul, burning all that was burnable in order to give delight to all that could be delighted. So that's quite a description that we get from St. John of the Cross. So this transverberation of St. Teresa of Avila's heart was a type of wound of love that was accorded her and I think also especially her because God had plans for her to be a founder and so that we even in this day and age would benefit from the things that she wrote. She wrote many books um, out of obedience, uh, Interior Castle, Way of Perfection, The Book of Her Life, The Foundations and many other Things. So we are beneficiaries of that, and in the order of Carmel, of course, we are our Holy Mother's children in the Discalced Carmelite order, so uh, we have much to be grateful for. Now, in the interior castle, the, the 
monumental work of Teresa at the end of her life. That was the last one that she wrote when she was at the height of her sanctity. She talked about these wounds of love in the sixth mansion. And I believe it was in the second chapter, if anybody wants to look it up, where she says that God makes me desire him immensely. So you could subtitle this chapter, Immense Desires or Dying of Love. And, and we talked about that with St. Teresa Margaret Reddy in the Sacred Heart uh, recently. Now these wounds of love, they're divine and delectable spiritual wounding of the soul. It's, it's like a fiery arrow shot into the soul. It's profound and lasting, and it's caused by the knowledge of the works of the incarnation and the mysteries of faith. They burn and pierce the soul, and the soul lovingly complains to God, and not being able to leave this life so as to enjoy him in intimate union in heaven. So now this is one of the ways that God awakens a soul and encourages and then excites their desires. So sometimes when a soul is distractful or forgetful of God, his majesty, as St. Teresa would call God, his majesty will awaken. And one of these calls of God is this wound of love. So it's precious, it's desirable, it's more desirable than the delightful and painless absorption of the prayer of quiet, which is a fourth mansion uh, grade of prayer. It's a call to the soul so that the soul knows that God is present. But God doesn't reveal the manner in which he allows himself to be enjoyed. This is a secret. It's a mystery. But all the people in the castle keep still. And, and these people that Teresa referred to in the castle are, are, are the senses and the faculties of the soul. This wound can be sharp and powerful, and it can pass quickly. For Teresa, it happened many times. These wounds are like arrows that pierce the heart or the soul's depths, the center of the soul. So delightful pain, not continuous, but sometimes can last a long time. It's like a spark from the living flame of love from God that leaps forward and, and strikes the soul with, with this great delightful pain, enkindling the soul's longing for God. This is getting the soul really excited for the Lord. Now, how do you discern this? Well, first of all, you cannot produce this in any human way. It cannot be imagined. You can't make it happen. It's not a permanent condition. Uh, you can't make it go away. You can't make it come. But it does leave a certitude that it comes from God. If there are any doubts present, then it's not from God. It's a peaceful pain, not a disturbing pain. Um, and... You, you don't fear uh, any deception from the evil one if you're experiencing this true wound of love. Um, the only fear that you may prove uh, that may prove you ungrateful is, you know, this is a very generous gift. So, you know, you, you should be fearful that you're not grateful enough, right? That you don't value the, the immensity of this grace. So why is there greater security present in this favor? Well, this is a cardinal rule. The devil may never join pain and spiritual delight together. So pain and joy cannot come together if it comes from the evil one. But with the Lord, that's true, it does. 
The devil's pains are disturbing, not peaceful like these pains from God. This delightful wound comes from a region where the devil has no access, so the deepest centers of the soul. The wound of love brings wonderful benefits to the soul, such as a greater determination to suffer for God, um, to have many trials, and to be patient and persevering in those trials, and a determination to withdraw from earthly satisfactions and conversations. Well, today on August the 26th, the Discast Carmelite Order is celebrating this great mystical grace granted to St. Teresa, which we call the transverberation. So in my thinking, it was a specific wound of love. It's also called the grace of the dart. And St. Teresa herself recounts this experience in chapter 29 of the book of her life. Now, she receives this uh, transverberation of her heart in 1559. She's in the sixth mansion. And it was not until 1572, 12, 13 years later, that she reaches spiritual marriage, which is in the seventh mansion. So uh, this happens uh, in the sixth mansion. And this is what she described it as. She said, I saw close to me, toward my left side, an angel in bodily form. The angel was not large, but small. Now she's seeing this in her mind. This, this, she's not seeing an apparition outside of her body, okay? The angel was very beautiful, and his face was so flame that he seemed to be one of those very sublime angels that appeared to be all afire. They must belong to those they call the cherubim, for they didn't tell me their names. Now, St. John the Cross said it was a seraphim. I saw in his hands a large golden dart, and at the end of the iron tip there appeared to be a little fire. It seemed to me this angel plunged the dart several times into my heart and that it reached deep within me. And John the Cross would describe this as the intimate center of the substance of the soul. He says God's purpose again in granting this deep communication of himself is to exalt the soul, to enlarge it and enrich it. St. Teresa's description continues. When the angel drew the uh, dart out, I thought he was carrying off with him the deepest part of me, and he left me all on fire with great love of God. The pain was so great that it made me moan, and the sweetness this greatest pain caused me was so superabundant that there's no desire capable of taking it away, nor is the soul content with less than God. The pain is not bodily, but spiritual, although the body doesn't fail to share in some of it, and even a great deal. The loving exchange that takes place between the soul and God is so sweet that I beg him in his goodness to give a taste of this love to anyone who thinks I'm lying. Now that's from the book of her life, chapter 29. Now there was a Carmelite friar um, whose name was not given, that wrote in a newsletter for the Brookline Carmel, who said, had this interpretation, which I wanted to share with you. He said, the messenger was a cherub, one of those whose office it is to impart 
sublime knowledge and love of God to the lower angels, to the lower orders of the angels. The little fire on the end of the spear, he said, represents the intensity of the love. The spear itself was the death-dealing blow inflicted by it upon all base love. So that's part of the purification. It seemed to draw out her vital organs, signifying that henceforth she would live for God alone. The pain gives us to understand what a lofty knowledge of God was communicated to her, for her human nature was hard-pressed to bear the weight of it. You know, who can see God and live, right? The exquisite delight engendered by that knowledge gives us an inkling of the surpassing joy that comes of possessing him who is ineffable goodness and loveliness. So I really thought that was rich to, to ponder that. And let's, let's not to forget to ponder this. You know, you have the piercing of Jesus' heart on the cross through his side, which brought us his divine mercy and the birth of the church. Here in St. Teresa, her reception of this transverberation of her heart, where her heart is pierced, that occurred before she made any of her new foundations. So it, it, it's as if she had these with the birth pains and the foundations quickly followed. So, you know, great graces come from these um, uh, great works. Well, from the Bull of Canonization of St. Teresa of Avila by Pope Gregory XV, we go on where he tells us, in consequence of these heavenly gifts, the flames of divine love burned in her heart so strongly that under God's guidance, she made a very difficult vow. And here's what it was. She bound herself always to do that which she should see to be the more perfect and that which might tend to the greater glory of God. After her death, moreover, she made known to a certain nun in a vision that she had died of the unbearable burning of divine love and not from the attacks of illness. He goes on to tell us her heart, which was incorrupt, meaning it never um, lost its shape, um, and that it was adorned with the marks of the piercing, this, this transverberation. Her heart, which was incorrupt and adorned with the marks of the piercing, was placed in the church of the Most Holy Incarnation, belonging to the nuns of the order of barefooted Carmelites in Alba. And it has been venerated down to the present day, and even now, by the large and devout crowd of Christians who flock thither. All these things having been carefully examined, the sovereign pontiff Benedict Thirteenth, in order to recall the remembrance of this great miracle, permitted the celebration of this feast each year in that order which is the Discalced Carmelite Order, which is what we are celebrating today. So, St. Teresa, she died in 1582 after proclaiming that she was a daughter of the church and her body was buried in a wooden casket uh, or coffin. 
She's entombed in the church in Abba, and her tomb is encased high above the main altar. Now, although St. Teresa was ill, she still was journeying to Abba de Tormes in the autumn of 1582 in response to a friend who invited her to visit. And her health got worse and worse on the journey there. And when they arrived at the convert event, she was just totally exhausted and she never recovered. Shortly after, Father Heredia um, administered the sacrament of extreme unction, which we now call last rites, and asked where she would like to be buried, to which she replied, Would they deny me a little ground for my body here? Then she sat up and received the sacrament and exclaimed, Here's her last words, O oh Lord, now's the time that we shall see each other. She was buried at Alba de Tormes, but three years later, the body was secretly removed to Avila. <laughs> they were fighting over her incorrupt body by decree of a chapter of Reformed Carmelites. The following year, the Duke of Alba procured an order from Rome to return her body back. Okay, so with that, we're going to take a little bit of break. And when we come back, I'm going to talk to you about the incorrupt heart of St. Teresa of Avila, which still exists today. So we'll take a short break and we'll be right back. Thank you. And as I had said earlier, um, after Teresa died, they buried her in Alba de Tormes and she was buried with full solemnity. And after they put her down in the ground, they threw a bunch of stones and bricks and chalk on top of her. And it was so heavy that the coffin gave way under the weight and all the rubble fell into the coffin. I guess that was the way of uh, making sure that uh, the person who endowed the house, you know, with the uh, land and everything, that they want to make sure nobody was going to take St. Teresa's body away because she's very popular. Well, such a delightful fragrance kept being emitted from this tomb that uh, people began to have suspicions that something extraordinary was going on. You could also smell this fragrance in her cell, so much that they had to open the windows and doors to, to air it out. Well, so many wonderful things were happening at the grave that they finally sought permission to exhume uh, her body. And so nine months after interment, they dug it up and they found the coffin lid smashed, half rotten and full of mildew and smell of damp was really bad. Some of her clothes had fallen to pieces, but her body, even though it was covered with this earth that was all damp, her body was fresh and whole as if it had been buried only the day before and that penetrating fragrance uh, was still being smelt and this is nine um, nine months later right so her body is incorrupt even to this day and her heart is incorrupt it's like the Lord was saying believe me this does happen this grace of the seraph angel um, putting his dart into her heart 
actually happened. So he gives us evidence. You know, like how can you get a wound in your heart? She never had any kind of heart surgery, right? So God has given us this incorrupt heart of Teresa. Because they went in and they, they wanted to see what Teresa's heart looked like. So they opened her up. And they pay, have placed her heart in a stunning reliquary. It's set amidst the, all these an, angelic figures. You can easily see it on the internet. And you can easily see her heart. And you can see where the puncture wound is. Where the dart or arrow went in. And this is evidence of a rare mystical grace. The sides, the edges of that wound were cauterized or burned. Now, how does that happen when the heart's inside of a body, right? Um, there is a book called The Wonders of the Heart of St. Teresa of Jesus by Simon of St. Joseph and Therese. And this book is amazing, um, talking all about Teresa's heart and all of the extraordinary things that are um, related to it. For instance, I bet you didn't know that under testimony, under oath, people said they saw images in Teresa's heart. Um, one perfect image in relief they saw was of the Blessed Virgin holding her son on her left arm and then a golden scepter in her right hand. And then another image um, was of uh, the images of the Eternal Father, of, of the Most Holy Trinity, of the Blessed Virgin, of St. John the Baptist, St. Peter, Elijah, and other saints. Really quite amazing. There was even one of the uh, Jesus of Nazareth appearing as he uh, was shown uh, with uh, the blood all over his head. So again, these are attested to under oath. So they started calling St. Teresa's heart the wonderful mirror of the divine omnipotence, reflecting mysterious images which are certainly supernatural apparitions. Wow. <laughs> when I read that, my jaw dropped. I was like, I never heard of that with any saint. So they also called this uh, relic of her heart a window of heaven because of that. And they say that St. John of the Cross, uh, his relics had similar wonders, were reproduced in, in his relics. Um, I wouldn't know about that because I don't have a book on, on his relics. Um, some of the other prodigies that would happen would be um, the size of her heart would change. Now they're looking at this inside this um, uh, crystal uh, container that you, you know, you can easily see things. And so when they saw that it grew twice in size, you know, nobody's touching it, right? It's sealed up, but now it's increasing to twice its size. And then they see... Uh, Holy Mother Teresa appearing above it, wearing the habit of Carmel and, and all luminous. I mean, this is amazing stuff. So um, something else that would happen is that um, sometimes blood would ooze out of, of some of the places in the heart. And there were si seven tiny wounds. 
and from each of these a slender stream of blood would flow. Some thought it signified her desire for martyrdom, and others uh, the re resemblance of her heart to the Blessed Mother's transfixed heart by the seven dollars, you know, the seven sorrows of Mary. So, you know, here's a heart that uh, is pierced like Jesus's, as his was pierced, um, and the heart of the church um, was born forth from this time, and now uh, many foundations came after Teresa of Avila received this mystical grace. So uh, the birthing of these convents or these new foundations. Some other anomalies which happened were, um, well, I just want to talk about this, this actual uh, wound of the dart. Um, they say that even though the angel pierced her and was standing on her left, they can see from the evidence of the heart that he plunged the dart from the right to the left of her heart. And it's in the widest part of the heart. It's in the upper part. It's in a horizontal line. It's like a one and a half to two inches long. So they think that the angel stood on her left and then leaned back in back of her in such a way that the dart wounded her on the right side of her heart. So this is very interesting. And then right there you will also see a cross. So she has a cross on her heart. And so again resembling the uh, sacred heart of Jesus uh, that we all come to know uh, in devotion. So, uh, this all happened, you think of it, Teresa received this wound in 1559, and she lives many more years. She doesn't die till 1582, so just amazing to think of this heart um, and this cautery around the, the dart wound of the heart. Now, how does that happen? And then there's dust that seemed to gather, and then... Then these uh, uh, thorns that seem to grow out of it. Uh, that is an amazing thing. So this whole book um, goes into many uh, amazing things and gives their uh, interpretation of what it means. So I think you can see it online. It's, again, the wonders of the heart of St. Teresa of Jesus, those first observed and also those of more recent date, is the subtitle, by Simon of St. Joseph and Therese. So, the wound of the heart, it is still incorrupt. You can still see it today. And it kind of makes you wonder if this was connected to the founding of these new convents. Um, Teresa says this about her mission, and so it kind of gets it in perspective. She said, if our Lord hadn't granted me the favors he did, it doesn't seem to me that I would have had the courage for the works that were done, or the strength to support the trials suffered and the statements and judgments made against me. So after the foundations were begun, the fears I previously had in, in thinking that I was deceived 
left me. I grew certain the work was God's, and so I threw myself into difficult tasks, although always with advice and under obedience. As a result, I understood and understand that since our Lord desires to revive the original spirit of this order, and in his mercy, he took me as a means, his majesty had to provide me with what I was lacking, which was everything, in order to get results and better manifest his greatness through so wretched a thing, which she's referring to herself. Now, Father Robert Elias Barcelos is a discalced Carmelite friar who has a blog, and he was writing about the transverberation of St. Teresa, and he said, this grace was a catalyst, a turning point in her life, just like the transfiguration was to the apostles. The mystical experience that the three apostles had on Mount Tabor of seeing Jesus transfigured left a special mark on their souls, and it, it prepared them for their mission. But more so, it prepared them to endure the crisis of the cross before they were endowed and equipped for their mission. It was a special turning point. In the life of St. Teresa of Avila, Alison Piers, who wrote on her, said at the time of the transverberation, though she could not have known it, she was nearing the end of the quarter of a century during which she had been an obscure daughter of Carmel, and she was standing on the threshold of the life work which was to make her be immortal and why we know of her today, right? So Father Barcelos continued in his own words, the transfiguration in the lives of the apostles and the transverberation in the life of St. Teresa show that God communicates himself in times that we need him most and in the times that we need it the most. We need him the most and we need his help the most, okay? An authentic relationship with God is always going to have an impact on our relationship with others. God's grace in granting us an extraordinary experience of his love is always that we may have an extraordinary love for others and be willing to share in his mission for the salvation of souls. Now, should we all hope to receive such a supernatural grace as the transverberation of the heart? No, no, that would be very arrogant and prideful of us to presume that God would grant us this grace and, and to even want such a thing. No, we, we only want God's will. That's what we should pray for. God's will be done in our lives. But I might add, God does provide us with an ordinary way of pouring into our souls the grace of this transforming love. Now consider this scripture passage. It's from Hebrews chapter 4, verse 12. Indeed, the word of God is living and effective, sharper than any two-edged sword, penetrating even between soul and spirit, joints and marrow, and able to discern reflections and thoughts of the heart. This is the ordinary way, the word the word of God. So here again, I resort to the writings from the friar of the Brookline Carmel newsletter that I referred to earlier, whose name I don't know, who said, it can accomplish in us gradually, and he's talking about the word, it can accomplish in us gradually over a long period of time 
what the angel effected in Teresa in an instant. Or better, just to keep the record straight, what the angel brought about in her was merely the culmination, the grace which terminated and crowned the work that the word of God had been doing in her soul little by little, day by day, year after year. The word of God is then, in its own right, a dart, and it is wielded by other of God's angels, the priest and the bishops of the church. With it, they too aim to pierce the very substance of our souls, to bring to death this ignoble love of self, to illuminate our minds with divine truth, and to enkindle in our hearts an unadulterated love for God and man. It reaches down into the division of soul and spirit, distinguishing clearly the animal man from the spiritual man who is created according to God in the justice and holiness of truth. It penetrates to the division between joints and marrow. That is, it instructs us concerning the relationships binding us to our fellow men. It is the discoverer of our real self, laying bare the secret chambers of our minds and hearts. It's God's will that we take the dart, which is God's word, Remember St. Paul calls it the sword of the Spirit? And plunge it frequently into the depths of our souls. So we take the Word of God and plunge it into our own souls by, by reading Scripture, by pondering Scripture. We do this also when we practice mental prayer daily. We are faithful, or if we are faithful, we will discover that it can and does transform us. It can purge away sinful affection and open our eyes of the spirit to the ravishing beauty of divine nature and will win for us the grace to live for God alone. So scripture can do that for us on an ordinary plane. Whereas the transverberation of the heart of St. Teresa was a supernatural mystical grace given to her. You know, there were other saints that received that grace too. You know, John of the Cross. St. Mary of Jesus Crucified, whose feast day was yesterday. Uh, we know her as Miriam, the little Arab, right? Um, St. Padre Pio, a, a more recent acclaim, who, who died only in 1968. So um, he talks about his transverberation of heart. And this happened in, he said, August of 1918. Let me, let me read to you what Padre Pio wrote of his experience of the transverberation. And you're going to see a lot of similarities between his experience and St. Teresa of Avila's. Padre Pio wrote, While I was hearing the boys' confessions on the evening of the 5th, this would be in the 5th of August, I was suddenly terrorized by the sight of a celestial person who presented himself to my mind's eye. He had in his hand a sort of weapon, like a very long, sharp, pointed steel blade, which seemed to admit fire. At the very instant that I saw all this, I saw that person hurl the weapon into my soul with all his might. I cried out with difficulty and felt I was dying. I asked the boy to leave. This is the one that was in confession, in the confessional with him, because I felt ill and no longer had the strength to continue. This agony lasted 
uninterruptedly until the morning of the 7th, so three days. I cannot tell you how much I suffered during this period of anguish. Even my entrails were torn and ruptured by the weapon, and nothing was spared. From that day on, I have been mortally wounded. I feel in the depths of my soul a wound that is always open and which causes me continual agony. So he received this transverberation of the heart first, and then uh, after that, shortly after that, he received the visible stigmata, the five wounds of, of Jesus. And they were uh, visible for the next 50 years of his life. So this leads me to um, some questions about these wounds of love. Just something to consider. I don't know the answers, but I thought I'd throw them out there. You know, some saints um, and mystics, they receive a wound of love that, that deepens and purifies their love, but, the, but there's no mention of an angel. And yet, uh, the result is this great fervor, this great hunger for the Lord. Others have um, received a wound of love that, in which they see an angel and an arrow or dart present. And they have this pain um, and the joy. And then, of course, there's a, uh, in St. Teresa of Avila's uh, spiritual testimonies, this is number 12 of her spiritual testimonies. She talks about a trans-piercing of the soul. So we've got the transverberation of the heart. And then she talks about this trans-piercing of the soul. And this echoes the wound of the prophesied spear that pierces our Blessed Virgin Mary. Remember that prophecy that she received? And when St. Teresa of Avila describes this transpiercing of the soul, it's, it's very painful. She's talking about there's ecstasy of joy, but there's an ecstasy that results from suffering, from pain. Um, so great, great pain can produce this ecstasy. And she calls it the transpiercing of the soul. So just something to ponder. And then, is there a wound for the world? And we talk about it in a spiritual sense. The only reason why I say that is because I'm reminded of what one of the Fatima visionaries, Lucia, who became a discalced Carmelite nun, what Lucia wrote about an enlightenment that was given to her in which she sees an angel with a flaming sword ready to set the world on fire, seeing the tip of the spear as a flame unlatches and touches the axis of the earth. And the axis of the earth, I would assume, is the center of the earth. It's like the soul of the body is the axis of the earth. So is there a connection? Uh, are we talking about a transverberation of the earth? I don't know. I just had that thought, so I throw it out there. Maybe you can uh, write me and give me your opinion. Now, St. Teresa of Avila has a prayer on the wounds of um, love. It's in her soliloquies. And I hope that you will get these uh, books of hers. There's three, three volumes of the completed works of St. Teresa of Avila. 
put out by ICS Publications. Now, that's what I'm referring to. So sometimes the names of these things are changed in different translations, but the one I'm using is the ICS version, and there's a section in the first volume called Soliloquies, and number 16 is entitled The Wounds of Love. So I don't think Teresa probably titled that. I don't remember, but uh, this is her prayer about the wounds of love, and I just would like to read that to you right now so that you um, at least get to hear it. O true God and my Lord, it is a great consolation for the soul wearied by the loneliness of being separated from you to see that you are everywhere. But when the vehemence of love and the great impulses of this pain increase, there's no remedy, my God, for the intellect is disturbed and the reason is so kept from knowing the truth of your omnipresence that it can neither understand nor know. It only knows it is separated from you, and it accepts no remedy. For the heart that greatly loves receives no counsel or consolation except from the very one who wounded it, because from that one it hopes its pain will be cured. When you desire, Lord, you quickly heal the wound you have caused. Prior to this, there's no hope for healing or joy except for the joy of such worthwhile suffering. O oh, true lover, with how much compassion, with how much gentleness, with how much delight, with how much favor, and with what extraordinary signs of love you cure these wounds, which with the darts of this same love you have caused. O oh my God, and my rest from all pains, how entranced I am. How could there be human means to cure what the divine fire has made sick? Who is there who knows how deep this wound goes, or how it came about, or how so painful and delightful a torment can be mitigated? It would be unreasonable were so precious a sickness able to be mitigated by something so lowly as are the means mortals can use. How right the bride of the canticles is in saying, My beloved is for me, and I for my beloved, and my beloved for me. For it is impossible that a love like this begin with something so lowly as is my love. Well, if it is lowly, my spouse, how is it that it is not so lowly in rising from the creature to its creator? O oh my God, why I for my beloved, you, my true lover, have begun this war of love, because this love doesn't seem to be anything else than a restlessness and a dereliction on the part of all the faculties and senses, for they go out into the streets and squares entreating the daughters of Jerusalem to tell of their God. Once, Lord, this battle has begun, who are these faculties to fight against, if not against the one who has been made Lord of this fortress where they dwell, which is the highest part of the soul? They are driven out so that they might return to conquer their conqueror. And now... 
tired of seeing themselves without him, they quickly surrender and lose all their forces and fight better. And by surrendering, they win the victory over their victor. Oh, my soul, what a wonderful battle you have waged in this pain. And how literally, literally true is what happens here. Since my beloved is for me and I for my beloved, who will be able to separate and extinguish two fires so enkindled, it would amount to laboring in vain, for the two fires have become one. So that um, is the prayer of St. Teresa regarding these wounds of love. And I just thought that you would like to hear that. You know, in closing, we, we just want to pray that, you know, Holy Mother Teresa, uh, you know, her great example would make a difference in our lives and that, that we too would imitate her by having a generous and a determined and a courageous spirit to endure all things for Christ who strengthens us, that we too may be filled with the infinite fire of his divine love. Well, you can hear us at CarmeliteConversations.com and you can uh, read some things we put on Facebook by going to our Facebook page, Carmelite Conversations, or you can email us. We have an address at carmelite.conversations at gmail.com. We always like hearing from you, getting your input, input whether it's on our uh, website or our Facebook. So thank you for letting us know your thoughts. For our closing prayer, I would like to use the intercessions, some of the intercessions from the Carmelite proper of the Liturgy of the Hours for August 26. So let us get recollected. Let us put ourselves in the presence of God, which we always are, but now let us be really conscious of it, okay? Let's go inward to be with our Lord and pray in the sign of the cross. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Jesus, you want your spirit of love to blaze like fire throughout the world. May we, like St. Teresa, be instrumental in keeping that flame of love alight. You sanctify your friends and reveal to them the mysteries of your heart. Unite our hearts to yours in a friendship so close and intimate that we may experience the secrets of your love. Proclaim it to others and win them to you. You bless the pure of heart and promise that they would see you. Purify our sight so that we may see you in all things and through all things be close to you. You oppose the proud and give wisdom to the simple. Make us humble of heart so that we may receive your wisdom for the sake of the church. We ask all this through our Lord Jesus Christ, your Son, who lives and reigns with you and the Holy Spirit, one God, forever and ever. Amen. In the name of the Father, and in the Son, and in the Holy Spirit. Amen. Meanwhile, I, I hope and pray that God's love will, will transform all of our hearts and that our love of God may grow blazing like a fire uh, and set the world on fire with His love. That is all for now. I thank you for joining me. 
Uh, I look forward to being with you again. Meanwhile, may St. Teresa of Avila intercede for us, pray for us, and I ask God to bless us all. Good night.